0: For today, a few weeks ago when it was time to pick the sermon title, I picked, What Does Love Ask of You? (laughs) I was on a trip this past week, so that slide got made a week and a half ago. When I sat down yesterday to write this sermon and reflected further, I realized there was probably a better sermon title. What does love require of me today? It is more specific and useful. It does not ask what the calendar requires. It does not ask what the budget requires. It does not ask what tradition or culture requires. It asks what love requires. And when something is required, it is necessary to the situation. The original sermon title, What Does Love Ask?, sounded more like a wish or a request, something optional. And then by adding the word today, what does love require of me today? There's more necessity, more timeliness, more here and now. It does not ask what might be possible with more time, more money, or more courage. So this question can give a guide for daily life. So in the opening reading, we heard about Courtney Martin sharing her experience of a topic close to her heart, how to live her feminist ethics. In the process, she received feedback about how her language affected some people. In trying to take responsibility, she received more feedback. In the end, she had learned about her own power, stepped into it, and felt a new sense of integrity. The sense of integrity came from a process of stepping back and reflecting. She widened her circle of concern. She summoned up courage. She allowed others to care for her as she struggled. What I find moving about this example is that she was already working for justice. She already had a sense of what was right. She knew that she had experienced being limited by social norms around women's role in society and she was trying to speak up about that. What was unnerving to her was that she had more to learn in an area where her ideals had led her to speak up as an expert. What is inspiring to me is that she stepped up to the plate and learned and shifted her actions. I imagine that she had to do what love required of her on that day. Living with that question as a daily guide clearly involves effort and challenge, but it also has rewards. Part of the reward is a sense of clarity about what voices to listen to, what internal voices and external voices. I want to offer another example. Last month, on June 15th, in Richmond, Virginia, there was a gathering of the Virginia Democratic Party. It was a political event, it was a fundraiser, and there were people who spoke, people who were already elected to office and people who want to be elected to office. They spoke about strategies and actions. They spoke about justice. They had their well developed oratory style and they had the clothes they had picked for the occasion. But when the event was over, when the videos were posted online, what part of the video was clipped out to a five minute segment and shared? The rabbi. The rabbi who was not running for office, who was not one of the main speakers, who was invited because at political functions it's often seen as a good idea to have a prayer before a meal and to offer a local, and to invite a local faith leader. The rabbi gave a prayer that lasted five minutes and everyone stood still and listened. He wasn't even talking to them. He was talking to, in his words, the sovereign of space and time. Partway through the prayer, he readdressed the sacred, and I think I have this right from the video, the source of love and light. What I find meaningful about that, and the reason I tell you this story is because his motivation that day was solely to speak with love to the source of love. And it got people's attention He wasn't even trying to steal the show. It just happened that way. This is a universal truth. Throughout history, people have discovered that doing something in a rote or mechanical way has one quality, while it has a different quality if it is infused with love. Maybe you can relate. Trying to get the kids out the door to school. Trying to wait in line at the store and speak to the clerk. Trying to do committee work here at this congregation. Each can be done solely as a task or it can be infused with love. I experienced that When I sat yesterday after I got back from my trip and I wanted to know what happened here last week in worship, so I listened to the sermon online that was given by the Reverend Karen Foley. She's been attending this congregation for a while since she retired from the ministry in New England. She probably has a lot of sermons on file that she could have just pulled out and said last week. That is clearly not what she did. If any of you missed that, I encourage you to go to the website and listen to the audio. Clearly, she reflected on what is going on in this time and place and what will be helpful and loving to hear. This is such a universal experience that it has been written about for eons. When I was a child in the Presbyterian church, I learned a verse that, kind of made sense when I was little but it has made more and more sense to me as I have gotten older. It comes back to me again and again because it basically says religious acts do not matter unless they are done with love. The verse comes from a part of the uh, New Testament in which there are young Christian communities starting up and one of the leaders shares his personal experience about doing the religious rituals. He describes religious rituals that are common to that time and place, such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, faith, mysteries, knowledge, but he gives a caveat. Here's how it's translated. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I am to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So he's saying... On the surface, a person might be doing the right act, but it only has value if it's guided within by love. Love can show us what is worthy of our time and attention. This principle applies more widely because being in a faith community is not just the rituals. It's also all the other logistics and meetings and hallway conversations. It's setting up the slide projector before the worship service, getting the sound board turned on, getting those things in the PUREX eliminated. Sometimes there are hard things that need to be said. When I face a situation where I feel like I need to say something and I'm not sure how to say it, Sometimes I fall back on something that I've realized is a crutch. The workshops that I've taken about communication skills, all those skills on how to have hard conversations. But if that's all I relied on, that could accidentally be the noisy gong or the clanging cymbal. If underneath all those communication methods, I have a sense of honest caring inside myself, then perhaps there is some hope for that difficult conversation. I've been thinking about the covenant that this church voted on and agreed to nine years ago. The only line that seems to be controversial is the line about calling each other lovingly back into covenant. I've been wondering why we didn't add the word ourselves. What about calling ourselves back into covenant instead of waiting for someone else to ask that of us? If we go by the question, what does love require of me today, we might find ourselves voluntarily making amends. The wisdom of voluntarily making amends is well-known in long-term happy marriages. People have learned to dig deep for the love and apologize and be accountable. Which leads back to the question, how do we know what is right to do in any given situation? Where can we look for prescriptions of the best action? And how can one develop this habit? I have two ideas for that. The first one comes from the Buddhist tradition. There's a type of meditation in the Buddhist tradition called a loving-kindness meditation. It starts out where a person sits for a while and pays attention to their breath and then they're instructed to consider what it would be like if they wished wellness and happiness and health for themselves and to truly cultivate those sensations in their body. And after doing that for maybe one or three or ten minutes, then to widen the circle, to consider someone with whom they're close or for whom they have admiration and to wish well-being and kindness towards that person. And after doing that for a while, then to widen the circle and think of someone who is difficult or challenging. To wish them to have what they need what will help them be whole. And this Buddhist loving kindness meditation then finishes with considering all beings, the whole world. It's not easy. That's why there's whole books written about it, and people practice it for lifetimes, and in the Buddhist tradition for multiple lifetimes. But it's worthwhile because it cultivates in the neurons of the brain in the very fibers of the being, a habit of going to a place of loving kindness instead of habituating to fear or ego, anger. So that's one spiritual practice that I can suggest. Another spiritual exercise that I'd like to suggest is the notion of at the end of the day writing down three times that you experienced love guiding you or requiring something of you on that day. So this type of practice, recording something at the end of the day, psychologists use it all the time. It's often used when people are trying to understand what they eat and how it's affecting their bodies. They keep a food log. A lot of folks keep a gratitude journal when they're trying to cultivate a sense of thankfulness in their lives. And by writing it down at the end of the day, one's attention is turned intentionally to that state of mind. So if somebody's looking for homework, in the coming week, at the end of the day, to write down three times that you felt you were able to listen to what love required of you, in that moment, it's a way of opening one's ears and one's heart. So, these spiritual practices, once they become more habitual, can apply to the very concrete matter of our daily lives because humans have to face tough situations and figure out what to do in them. Humans face aching questions, but these questions are usually not unique. Humans can look to history for lessons, can look to religion for answers, but perhaps the greatest wisdom comes from pausing and reflecting on the internal voice of love. So what do I know today as I stand here with you? What do I know about our world today? I know that we are again in a season of the year in which hurricanes are battering the coast. We are again in a season in which the Charlottesville community remembers the violence from August 2017. We are again in a season that happens every four years in this country in which candidates are debating each other. We are again in a season in history where one group of humans puts another group of humans in detention camps. What shall we do? What will you do? This morning, you have not come to a house of worship where you will be offered rules or ritual to tell you what to do. You are being offered community to be with and reminders about the love that is already inside of you, the love that is around you all the time as you take each step forward. And that is good news. Please join me in a moment of silence.